Welcome to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast, where we meet experts from all walks of life to learn their intrinsic motivation so that they can share it with the world. What do we have in store today? Stay tuned to find out more. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, and I'd like to give a shout-out before we get started to my little. His mother reached out to me because she actually sat him down, and he listened to the first half of the podcast where we were talking about college secrets of highly successful people, keys to launching a great life. And I know we guys left, we left you guys on a um, cliffhanger last time because we only talked about the three lies. They actually have three more that we're going to cover today, and they also have a report that I saw on their site that they're going to give you eight other nuggets if you stick to the end. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome the co-authors to the stars and the advisors to the stars. And those that are listening about to go to college, you may be future stars, and you can also say that you worked with these superheroes. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Lindy and Tom Snyder to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Hamza. Loved it. Good to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Yes, uh, I'm glad you guys, when we first did it, it was the beginning of August, and that's where all of the people in the South and some other parts of the country were going to school. And now we are at Labor Day weekend, and the old schoolers from, like, the Northeast uh, that traditionally worked in the farms couldn't go to school until after Labor Day. So these guys are begrudgingly looking forward to going back to school in the next couple of weeks right after Labor Day. And those that are seniors should be armed to the T. We're going to cover a lot of college secrets today. And the first one we talked about was that college is a four-year commitment, and I think that might have been a, 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 a reality that existed in the 60s, 70s, and 80s in the movies that we saw. Um, in 2019, a lot of people aren't, aren't Graduating four four years, they're more more likely taking five to six years to graduate. And uh, these guys, yes, uh, Lindy and Tom will help us get through that and and dispose of that myth. Uh, the other lie is that we covered is going to an elite college will make a difference in your future. So take that, Ivy Leaguers. <laughs> <laughs> My neighbor is an Ivy Leaguer. Isn't that what you say afterwards? Yes. <laughs> Isn't that when you usually say, oh, my neighbor's an Ivy Leaguer. I, I, he's at my gym, so they're, uh, he's okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then the third is, and this one, you know, you kind of beat people over the head, where your goal is to get a degree. And we covered that it's not a goal. Uh, that's, that's not even the start. So I think that we covered at least my cliff notes, uh, the first three, but I want to get more in detail of the other lies that exist and whether the secrets so that the people listening or their children could be highly successful in their next phase of life. Sounds great. Okay. So the fourth lie was your college advisor will tell you everything you need to know. You will go through the jungle to the top of the mountain and they're sitting on a magic carpet and you sit with them for 45 minutes, and you should be set for the rest of your life. You mean that's not true? It's, oh, it sounds so perfect. You, you, you just exactly hit the, the gold of the entire uh, process. 
45 <laughs> minutes and you are set for life. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is no guru on the top of the hill, on uh, top of the mountain, I should say. And, and part of the reason the college advisors don't tell you everything, it's not a conspiracy. They can't, um, is one of the reasons. Most college advisors have uh, upwards to close to 500, depending on the size of the college, close to 500 students that they're advising, and uh, they can't possibly cover everything they need to. In fact, a lot of times the colleges time their conversations and say, okay, you can only spend five to ten minutes per student. Um, so that's that's one of the reasons. And Part of that also is that the job description for college advisors is not to give those uh, students advice to get careers and beyond once they're out of school. Their job description is to get them from the first day of college to graduation. And that's the sum total of what their responsibilities are. So get these courses, do this in this sequence, and get your degree in four, five, or six years. That's their responsibility, and that's all their responsibility is. Hmm. Now, Tom, I believe that you're a fellow gentleman of the salesman ilk in a previous life. Is that correct? Correct. I spent 12 okay. years in sales and generated $3.5 million worth of business. Now, usually for salespeople, um, and I know Lindy will chime in as well, but we like those carrots. Right? Like if we reach our goal, if we reach uh, what we're set out to make at the beginning of the year, there's bonuses, uh, there's actually raises and such. So if I have up to 500 students, I, I might not be doing my job to my best ability, but if, if someone dangled a carrot, let's say if someone graduated or went on to a graduate degree, then that would be a tie to some type of incentive. Do you think that could exist for our college advisors in high school? Um, it, it's a great theory, but in practicality, it's almost impossible because in order to have that kind of dedicated uh, focus on any individual student is going to require far more time than what they actually have to spend with that student. Um, and if they're being highly selective and say, well, I'm going to make these 10 students, uh, give them all the information they need to move forward, but the other 490 students, too bad for you guys, um, that isn't going to fly very well either. Mm. So you, you, it, it would be great if you could do that, but quite frankly, most college advisors don't even know the secrets and techniques to get students uh, to that positive and successful future beyond college, even if they had the time and the motivation to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and and a lot of advisors, um, one of the, the rule of thumb that they go by is that the students will say, I just don't know what to major in. I don't know what I want my career to look like, that kind of thing. And they will tell them, find your passion. You know, if you take a course you really like, Maybe that's the way you want to go, you know, choose that direction for your major. And um, what we advise is that students really need to own their own future. They're going to have to dig in, find out what careers are out there. If they find a course that they like, um, see how that adapts in the career, in the business world. Um, and instead of finding your passion, we say find your 
compassion, okay? And, and it's, it's different because a passion will change. Oh, I love this, um, this musician, for instance, and then your music taste changes, and maybe you're not as thrilled with them anymore. But when you find your compassion, that's what will really grab your heart and make you want to pursue, okay, I want to work in that field because that gives me a purpose and I know I can make a difference. I really like that purpose in making a difference because I was, I think I, I'm not sure if I told you guys, but I, I taught elementary school and we had, you know, you had the uh, parents come to school and they talked about what they did and, you know, they have commercials and they're all cute, but I never could remember them doing that in high school. And so were the, did the parents lose their compassion or, or they didn't find <laughs> their compassion? So they're like, you don't want to hear from me. <laughs> And, and in many cases, the parents and the uh, teenager are not really on good speaking terms. <laughs> by yeah. <that> point in time. <laughs> so, Mom, I not only don't want you at home, I don't want you in my classroom either. Just shut up and let me run my life. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, that's fairly common. <laughs> it, it, it really is. I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, of spitballing here, but wouldn't it like I'm thinking community wise so like we don't like our parents at that age of course it's an awkward age but the neighbor that went to Ivy League school or mm-hmm. <laughs> someone else you know at the, at the at, at church or what have you if there was some type of community you know I'm, a, I'm living in a good night ma good night pa world and from Little House on the Prairie mm-hmm. but it, I think it, if you can see it right like um you may that may help you find your compassion if they're in their phones all day and they're not peeking up outside of that. It, I think it would be difficult for them to find their compassion. Absolutely. Well, and I, I think students really need to um, tap into the resources that they do have, and that is it starts with parents. You know, find out do they like their jobs, their careers? What would they have done differently? And find out what their what the parents' friends are doing. We we talk about a uh, one uh, young man who was in college and wanted to be an architect because he loved to draw. He was highly creative, and the further he got into the program, the less he liked it. And he said, "I really didn't know what I wanted to do." I think he changed majors um, about five times, and uh, and he was bemoaning this to his mom and she said you know I have he he did seek other things but at one point he talked to his mom and she said I have a good friend who's a physical therapist and she loves her work why don't you shadow her for a day well he told me I had no idea what a physical therapist did and uh, so he did he shadowed her and he could see himself doing it because it, he, he discovered it was much more creative than he expected. She was trying to adapt everything to each of her patients. And uh, he did go on to become a physical therapist, which uh, was quite a commitment because I, it's very similar in length of time to getting a medical degree. And uh, the way he's, I asked him, I said, well, you're a terrific physical therapist um, because I had seen him work. But I said, you know, 
what about your creative side, Are you, the drawing and that kind of thing? And he said, you know, two things. He does his artwork on the side, but he also ended up using some of his architectural um, desire to build tools, different gadgets that physical therapists now around the world actually use. He invented them and markets them. Um, so there's a way to tie in your interests, and yet if you can find a compassion, which is what he tapped into, he really wanted to help people, and uh, and he loves it. He loves his job, and, and he said, I thought I would never find it. And one of the things that, that's really pivotal, uh, especially so many college kids are going through this angst of what am I supposed to do with my life and what am I supposed to major in, all of these things. The reality is that if you find something that touches your heart, that you are doing something for someone else, that then brings reward to you and you start realizing that you're going to love working in that capacity somewhere. And usually, a lot of times, you are going to find what you want to do as a career by doing something for other people first. And that, you know, sometimes you'll try a certain uh, charity that you want to volunteer for, and you go, eh, it's okay. You know, I'm not really cool about serving in the food bank. But then you do something else at a different uh, nonprofit or a church, and all of a sudden you go, oh, my gosh, I'm changing people's lives. And now you suddenly find self-value in why you exist, and that changes all of your focus into uh, where you want to serve society, and that brings great joy to you as well. When you, I, I like the, I want to stay with the doing something for someone else, because uh, I think that's huge, and, and for people that go to different locations on the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, depending on what they uh look to as a higher power, right? It's greater to give. And it also made me think of the movie Brewster's Millions. Do you guys remember that movie with Richard Pryor? I do, but barely. I remember the title. <laughs> yes, yeah, I know. It's like trivia night. I'm it's sorry. a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, right. But in the movie, it kind of echoes what you're saying, Tom. You know, he, he had come across a, a rich uncle, and the rich uncle – was giving him three hundred, I mean three thirty million dollars, right? And he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna get thirty million dollars," but there was a big asterisk, and they said, "You have to spend that thirty million dollars, and if you spend that thirty million dollars in thirty days, you will get three hundred million." And mm. so it was like, "How do I do this?" And ultimately, it was just showing that compassion and doing things for other people will help you grow your life to unimagined areas and he wound up being like a better person and overall it was like the money was no big deal afterwards because of uh, everything that he was doing for other people. I'm going to have to find that movie. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pull out the Betamax, blow the dust off. <laughs> <laughs> good luck with that. Exactly. <laughs> to, to quote a Bible verse uh, that really applies in uh, given it shall be given unto you. And mm -hmm. it starts with your giving first, whether that's of your time or your talent or your money or whatever. Then by being selfless, you then receive more back. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We had, um, 
Uh, one, student, uh, one student I want to tell you about, Michael Skinner, he was going to um, Notre Dame, and he was an engineering major. And one of the things they have at the college um, there is a 3D printer. Now, not all colleges have them, but boy, oh boy, if you can get access to some of this equipment that the colleges provide and learn on it, that's a, a phenomenal opportunity. Well, anyway, he was, he was accessing the 3D printer, and he and his um, fellow students were making little toys and silly little things, trying to make things that could move, you know, using this 3D printer. And um, uh, he was set to go to a, uh, oh, it was a parent meeting at the college where they, they were honoring parents, and the parents were supposed to come. And he's on his way there or I guess he arrived there and realized it was a you-wear-a-tie event, and here he's in a T-shirt and jeans, and he went, oh, dang. So he called an Uber driver, and as fate would have it, he's in this car with the Uber driver, and the driver's talking about his family. And he had, this Uber driver had adopted a little girl that was born with no hands. She had actually a uh, single digit on each hand. And uh, Michael Skinner went, oh, my gosh, this is the very thing that I could use that pre 3D printer for. So he asked the dad if he could, you know, if, if they could use her as a way to make moving robotic hands for her. And uh, the dad was overwhelmed. The little girl was about, I think, eight years old at the time. And one, prosthetics are way too expensive that they don't even want to make them for children because they, they outgrow them. However, if he could make a plastic one um, for her hands, she would begin to learn how to use them so that when she's an adult and they can make her prosthetic hands, she'd be able to adapt to them quickly. So um, that's what they did is the students got together, he got his friends together, and they did build these hands for this little girl. And it changed not only the little girl's life, but it changed his life significantly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you for sharing that, Mindy. That's a wonderful story. I I really like that. Um, so I want, I want to back up for a second because the, the example about the student that ultimately became a physical therapist, you said he had gone, changed his major about five times. And we were trying to find a difference between finding your passion and finding your compassion. And we're talking about giving and receiving. And I know a, a lot of parents that are saying, I am only going to give <laughs> – for maybe four, maybe five years, and then you're on your own. (laughs) So when the advisor has 500 students, he's limited. But parents are saying, hey, you know, I don't have an unlimited budget for you to go to school, or you have siblings, they they have money set aside for them too. So how do you, is there a way to, organic is the best way to go. But what's the second best way to finding your compassion? Part of it is if you if you are doing some of these things even in high school, that really helps to 
define what direction you might want to go in college. Too many kids just kind of float through high school, and they go to college and figure, well, I'll, I'll figure out what I want to do when I get there. And they haven't done any advanced planning or thought of this. And a vast majority of students go to college, and then they kind of flounder because they try something that they thought they might want to get into, and then it really isn't what they want to get into. Um, and our, our book has several stories about those kinds of situations as well. But it really it starts back in high school. And uh, you know, go out and do some of this volunteer work in high school. Get involved in the community, uh, even if it's not for a nonprofit. Find out some of the things that other people do. Ask questions. Interview business owners uh, in a variety of different fields uh, because you may never you may never have thought of going in a particular field, but as you interview that, that CEO or that business owner or somebody that works for that company, they may reveal some of what that job actually is like, and you go, you know what, that's kind of interesting. And it can really help refine what your focus is so you avoid some of that, well, gee, I'm going to cut you off after seven years of college. <laughs> 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 we had one student that um, uh, he wasn't sure what he wanted to do, but he was he was very forward thinking, and this was in high school, and he started working um, part time just after school whenever he could provide some time um, with his um, optometrist. It was his own optometrist, but he thought maybe that would be the direction he wanted to go in, and so he would go and file papers and you know, um, help set appointments, that kind of thing. But after he had done that for a couple summers, when he started college, it was like, no way am I going to be an optometrist. He had seen enough, didn't want to do it. We see that a lot. Now, it's better when it happens in high school. One gal, Julie Marie Carrier, she, um, uh, when she was in college, everyone knew she was going to be a veterinarian. She knew it, too, because she loved animals. And uh, she, as she worked through her courses, and of course that also requires extra school after your undergrad degree, and she's working her way through. And her senior year, she does an, uh, one semester abroad, and while she's away from, from home, away from the country, she says, I hate my major. And so she began to think through things and uh, back to some of the volunteer work she did. And she loved working with um, young people, teaching them leadership skills and things like that, and went back to her college and said, you know, I know this is going to add a lot of years, but I cannot graduate and then pursue veterinary school. I hate this. So she talked to the college, and actually they were able to create a um, a major for her in leadership training. And uh, that's the direction she went, and she has been a national uh, leadership trainer for young women. And it, so it worked. Not every college is going to do that, but uh, but it worked for her. Thank you for that. Thanks for sharing. And I want to stay on task. I know we have two other lives. We're going to get to those. And 
Tom, Tom and Lindy, you both are saying about the uh, community service and and uh, nonprofits and what have you, and and I definitely want to do that pu- quick public service announcement that uh, I know it took uh, when I partnered with my little, he was actually looking for a big for a year and a half, and there's just not enough men that are doing this, uh, you know community service and there's a lot of boys and girls that that need that extra assistance and you do find a lot of business owners that are a part of that and you can actually spend more time versus you may never get to meet those people if you're just filling in an application competing against 500 other people so uh, just that little carrot I wanted to share. Mm -hmm. That is so true, so true. You have to be intentional, you have to choose to move forward and choose to make these decisions and take those actions, those courses of action. Uh, And that's, quite frankly, what sets you apart from the vast majority of your peers. And you're going to be the one that that gets the job or is the highly successful person where a thousand of your uh, peers and friends are going, wow, he's so lucky. He, got, he or she was able to accomplish so much. It, you know, it's just luck. No, it's planning and intentionality. <laughs> well, and what we're finding, too, is that the Fortune 500 companies, they did a, a big um, survey, or not survey, they researched how they were hiring people. And they found that they were not hiring um, the one, if they, let me put it another way, if they had two candidates and one was a, straight-A student, but the other one was a good, solid B student, but had all these other um, avenues that they had pursued. They had been a volunteer. They had done internships. They had made some connections in the community. Ninety percent of the time, the Fortune 500 company will hire that B student because they know they have the social skills that so many employees coming in are lacking, and and they really need those. They really treasure those skills. And, and also, the uh, the person who's a straight A student, they find well, you know what? They're really only concerned about themselves. They're not good team players, and mm. uh, in many cases, and so they they want people who actually can get along with other people and actually have a a vision beyond just their own personal achievement, and that's uh, why 90% of those Fortune 500 companies will hire that B student instead of that straight A student, all the other things being equal. Now I'm a little bit confused because I saw the movie Animal House, and in that movie, it said, <laughs> I'm doing all these old A, oh my goodness, I need to, I, and, and trust me, I've seen new movies. <laughs> I see the movie, but for some reason, an old soul, <laughs> old soul tonight, guys. My goodness gracious! But it was—I was trying to segue into the fifth lie, which was social events on campus are just for fun, and a lot of those movies highlight that. And a lot of people go to college because they think that's all that entails. And one example you just mentioned is I lost out on a job, even though I had good grades, because I didn't have a social life. Mm-hmm. Oh, tell so, me about that. Yeah, it was it – was, it's just that – no, I'm just saying, like, you're saying it's more important than just having fun. You're, you think you're going to meet some lifelong friends, and on some level you will, but 
if you if you're like you said, uh, Tom, if you're more intentional, then you can get more out of it instead of I guess going by the way the wind is blowing. Yeah, and there, there's you know? there's two different types of social events, uh, and it's really how you uh, respond to them that makes them one or the other. Um, if you are going in mindlessly uh, just to party. Eh, they're really not going to be a great value to you in most cases. Okay, but if you approach that same uh, uh, that same gathering with the intention of I'm actually going to be able to think by the end of the day, uh, <laughs> you know, I won't be puking on the sidewalk, uh, and and I want to meet the people that are here. Even if it's just a fairly uh, benign introduction and a brief conversation, you are meeting a lot of people that you don't know where they're going to end up. Everybody in college starts as a college student. Every one of the people we profile in the book, you know, from Bill Gates and, and Warren Buffett on down, um, they started as just plain college students. They were just like you and me and everybody else in their freshman year. You know, we talked about Neil Armstrong the other day about how he stood in front of the engineering building and he was scared to death. Now, you know, the guy that walks on the moon, but he was scared because he was just a college kid then. But mm-hmm. what what separates the ability of these social situations and, and how you can benefit from them is when you're approaching it with intentionality, getting to know specifically the people there and and going into those circumstances with some personal responsibility and a little bit of character, but also a lot of, uh, you know, focus on I'm going to get to know as many people as possible. Those are all people that eventually become part of that pool of resources that you can draw from when you're looking for references or you're looking to start a business with somebody. Who knows? You know, you meet them at a party and you see them on campus a few days later and you go, hi, Joe, uh, or hi, Sally. Uh, I, I really enjoyed talking to you at the party. Uh, what are you up to? And they go, hey, well, you know, I've got this great idea for a business. I'm looking for partners to, to kind of work with this with me. Well, gee, I happen to have some skills in that area. Well, you want to get together for coffee and talk it over? Well, and I, and I think, too, what happens is that um, when you are involved in your major, you tend to stick with only those people. Engineers stick with engineers, and um, communications majors stick with communication majors. But sometimes to create a dream, a dream business, you need an engineer and a graphic designer and maybe a musician or maybe someone who's doing a film. Um, you need all those things, and you meet those at the extended, at the bigger social gatherings because that's where the pool is. You also find them in different clubs on campus. So especially when you first start, uh, set foot on campus as a freshman, they have all of the clubs that are saying, hey, we're here, we're here, we're here, come and check us out. And go to some of those clubs that you don't think that you would really, you know, had any exposure to or interest in before, and you may find out that somebody there becomes a great friend, and oftentimes they can become a business partner. We highlight several of those people in, in what we did with interviews and, and researching for our book. How do you, I'm looking for a happy medium where 
when we were in school maybe <clears throat> a few years ago that <laughs> it was kind of organic. I mean, we had the intention to meet the people in the social events, but now you can have, with technology, um, I'm just thinking about when I, my first roommate, I didn't know him from Adam, and then he became a lifelong friend, whereas with apps and Facebook and such, parents are choosing to set up their social events for the children before they even get there. I wanted to get your take on being too uh, helicopterish, if I can create a new word, to um, set up your social life in college. Well, one of the, you know, this is this is one of the big problems, and and one of the problems inherent with the whole social media thing as well. Um, there's a there's a fine line of when parents drop their kids off at college, how much involvement they should have. Um, we actually recommend that they set a specific time once a week to have a phone call with their student. They should not, the parents should not be texting them 10 times a day saying, hey, wake up, you got a class, I think, this morning at 7.30 if I remember your schedule. Uh, make sure you eat breakfast. You know, those, are, those kinds of things are, are not appropriate for the parent because the child's going to have to learn to make some of these choices and decisions on their own. That's part of becoming an adult. Uh, but by the same token, uh, there's very few people that know how to navigate those years after they graduate from high school and go into college. And the colleges, the college advisors, aren't telling them how to navigate those years, and the professors aren't telling them how to do that, and the parents aren't telling them how to do that, and they're just kind of floundering. And that's why so many of these kids struggle uh, when they get into college and uh, some of them fall off the deep end. And those are, those are areas where there needs to be more guidance. That's one of the things that we do in our program is teach them how to navigate from the first day of college through those college years and get there in four years in most cases and move into an adult life with a career and, a, and great relationships and a future that they can be proud of. Well, and I want to add something to that, too. Um, you mentioned uh, when we went to school, it was more organic. And I, and I think I don't know your age, so I won't even guess. But when we went to school, um, we did not have the technology that they have today. And we're seeing that there is a real struggle for these kids to connect socially. And um, that is of critical importance to their success out of college. And it's, it's just safer. It's safer to be on Facebook. It's safer to text than it is to pick up a phone and say, hey, you know, let's, let's meet someplace. Want to get a coffee? Do you want to see the, you know, the sporting event that's going on? And, and uh, it happened so much easier in a way when we didn't have all the other devices that kept you from being face-to-face. And the social interaction is what really helps kids mature. One of, the, one of the big challenges of Fortune 500 companies is finding these millennial employees that actually have communication skills that are separate from the technology. They don't know how to write. They don't know how to meet people and talk to them face-to-face and look them in the eye and carry on a conversation. Those skills are being lost because of the technology. We can email and we can text, 
but when you sit down and, and want to have a conversation one-on-one, they don't really know how to do that. It's very uncomfortable for an awful lot of these kids. And so that's one of the real challenges today that, that we didn't face when we were in college. Yeah, you actually scared me. I thought you were at a, in a business meeting with me today because when you said they don't know how to write, in the meeting we were talking about Quillbot. I don't know if you're familiar with Quillbot, but there was a, a huge uh, Reddit thread that was going on where uh, Quillbot is it's a rudimentary artificial intelligence. And so students were trying to have an artificial robot write their papers. So, oh, my you know, goodness. Oh, my yeah, so, And, and what's even creepier? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was creepier in this thread? Like, it, I'll send it to you if I can find it. And, you know, students were like, at, at what school does this work? And can professors find out? And then you had TA, teacher's assistants, coming out with, oh, well, we have a software that can combat that. <laughs> so it's, it's always going to be a cat and mouse. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm all for the, the software that combats that. I'm all for yeah. that. <laughs> wow. It, it's well, really I think remarkable. Yeah, I think what we're talking about, it, if they're not prepared, it also leads to number six. See, I stayed on task. <laughs> and the sixth lie is that your career starts when you graduate. So maybe subconsciously they're thinking, yeah, I can live on this phone and I don't have to look up until I actually have my degree in hand. <laughs> exactly. You know, we had, we had one, of our, one of the uh, people we profiled. She said, um, college is a four-year, five-year, six-year uh, <laughs> uh, job interview. And it was such a profound yet simple statement because what she was saying is that everything you do on campus, somebody's watching. Every attitude that you have, good or bad, somebody's watching and and just kind of making mental notes. So your professors, your peers, the uh, TAs, um, the people in the business office, any interaction you have on campus or even off campus, you're being evaluated by those people, and, and they're going to have a response to the kind of person you are based on how you're presenting yourself. Now, you may be a fantastic human being, but every time you go into the grocery store and you have to wait behind five people and you sit there tapping your foot and you're all frustrated and angry, somebody is getting a different perception of you than what you may actually be. And so when you're aware that every circumstance you're in whether it's in a class or, or out on the street somewhere uh, or in a restaurant, somebody is watching you. And you need to be consistent with your responses. And you're going to draw people to you or push them away based on how they perceive who you are. So it's really important to be aware of those things and to practice professionalism in everything that you do. There's a famous story where a young lady, she was in college, and she wasn't doing ballet. She was doing another type of dance. And when she, tried, she had gotten her law degree, and people remembered that she wasn't doing ballet in undergrad, and she lost a lot of opportunities because of those choices she thought nobody knew about. Hmm. 
Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it's everybody is watching, not just Uncle Sam with all of the <laughs> the cameras. <laughs> yeah. That sounds creepy. <laughs> but we we all form snap opinions about somebody. Absolutely. You, you know, you're in a store and somebody is is you know yelling at the cashier. You instantly dislike that person, and you feel sorry for the cashier. The cashier becomes endeared to you because that person is ragging on them. And that person ragging is someone that you go, what a jerk. I, and those are all factors in the equation. You need to be aware that you're going to come across in certain ways to other people as well. Well, and there's, uh. um, there's a lot of controversy in college. And so many of these schools now are developing a safe place. So if you get offended or you get uncomfortable, you can go to this safe place but it's not preparing the kids for real life because when they get into the business world or just step off campus, there is no safe place except for in your car if it's not rush hour. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, I think that's very important. That's part of the, um, the getting out of your, your room on campus and, and being involved socially too is that there is controversy there. It's interesting, uh, one of the most interesting statements I felt from Bill Gates was that he said he regretted more than anything else not being involved socially on, on his college campus. He didn't go to the games. He didn't get involved with any of the social activities. And he says, that's my number one regret. And he'll never get that back. For all his money, he can't get that back. One of the things that, that really helps to make this a simple process is to understand that if you treat college like your first full-time job, it gives you the opportunity to practice that professionalism, to learn how to interact with different people, to be aware of what you're doing, and to do things to the best of your ability. And those habits that you can develop before it really is going to be impactful are things that are going to lead you right into that that next phase of your life and make you somebody that people are fighting over to get you to work for them instead of going, oh, yeah, it's another one of those people. Hmm. And it gives you that four years to practice and develop those personal skills, those communication skills, those personality skills, those character skills, so that you are prepared to be the ideal person to either work for someone else or, quite frankly, you have the maturity to be able to start your own business if that's the way you decide to go. Yeah, I think the other side of it, when, you, when we talk about the career starts when you graduate, it's like, no. Uh, I, I remember fondly running into alumni during homecoming, and I'm like, wow, they came back? And they come back generations, and they see that you come back and you had such a good experience then those are other opportunities for uh, collaborating or business or social uh, professionally that can happen just because you have that shared experience. And I found that those that weren't as social, like you said, with Bill Gates and such, they're not as active as an alumni either. That's mm-hmm. true. And, and exactly. alumni uh, are also very valuable once you graduate if you've developed those friendships while you're in college. There's one story that I really like is um, 
uh, there was a, a young man that was on the same floor as Bill Clinton in college, and he wanted to be a writer. And, of course, Bill Clinton wanted politics from the beginning, and uh, so they went in different directions. But the writer, um, his name was Thomas Kaplan, and uh, Mm. his parents had other plans for him and wanted him to uh, work in the family business. They had a jewelry business. So it wasn't until later in life that he he wrote his first novel just on his own time. And uh, he called up Bill Clinton who was the president of the United States, and said, would you write a foreword to my book? Mm. Not a bad connection to have, you know. <laughs> wow. And, and, you know, so you don't know who it is that you're meeting on campus that will eventually uh, become someone that uh, can be valuable to you or you can be valuable to them. You may be the highly successful person, and the buddy that uh, you met on campus calls you up one day. Well, and that the rest of the story with Bill and Thomas, um, uh, President Clinton asked him to write some of his speeches for him. So nice. it was a give and take, they, but they had built that friendship on campus. The, the real thing, probably the last point about the the – uh, being a four-year job interview, and if you approach your time in college with intentionality, is that you're going to stand out from the crowd because so few students are understanding that this is a four-year job interview. So where 70% of college grads six years or six months after graduating either don't have a job at all or have a job that didn't require their degree, so their college is wasted, um, you have that 30% who are in a career job or at least in a full-time job. And it's a lot of that success comes from what you did while you were in college. And it sets you apart from all of the other people on campus because there's so few of those uh, fellow students that are intentional. There are actually uh, internships that no one applies for. And they're golden opportunities to get experience and to to get a foot in the door of major corporations, and students don't even apply for them. There's yeah. lots of opportunities that are missed because students aren't intentional. I want to get, get you guys' take on a missed opportunity with the ugly duckling, duckling and beautiful swan. So you had mentioned that you know you, you're on your P's and Q's when you think people are watching you, but when you're off campus and you're yelling at, you know, the, the cashier and such. I want you to talk about, uh, I, I love that story with Thomas Kaplan and Bill Clinton and that they didn't know that Bill was going to be the president. And in many cases, you may have people being overlooked because at the time, you know, freshman, sophomore year, they may be that ugly duckling and they don't come into their own until, you know, late junior, senior year. How do you make sure, is there any advice where people aren't missing the golden goose that's right under the noses? Well, I I think in that case, um, one of the things that we tell our students is really to respect everyone. So whether they are someone in your classroom that you think shouldn't be there, they are just not sharp enough to be here, they may be that quirky Bill Gates guy 
you know. <laughs> Sorry, that, but ner- that nerdy little tech guy that became a multi-billionaire. <laughs> you just don't know. And um, I think if for no other reason than to build your own character, when you respect other people, it changes you. And um, and, and I think that's key. And and to just kind of go back to that passion versus compassion. Um, don't be a judge of other people. Understand that everybody has value. And if you value them as a person instead of, gee, I wonder what they can do for me, when you are, when you are valuing that other person, you're taking the focus off of yourself, focusing on them as a human being and their value, and you, you become endeared to them. And you never know where any of these you know, associations may lead. And it's just important to understand that you're not the center of the universe, uh, as hard as that may be to deal with sometimes. <laughs> but uh, everybody has value. And, and don't, don't just go in with saying, well, I'm only going to hang out with the people I think are going to go somewhere so that I can ride in their coattails. It, you need to be a little bit more selfless than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we got to speak with um, an actor who has been on all the Transformer movies. Uh, he's you would know his face. You'd go, oh, that guy, but you wouldn't know his name. He's kind of the famous that guy because he's been in so many things. <laughs> but his name is Glenn Morshower, and uh, he told us this story about when he he was actually. Um, uh, chosen through an audition to be on uh, in the movie Pearl Harbor, and when he showed up on set, he and he was told, uh, "No, you don't have that part." Well, he had flown in, he had canceled the rest of his schedule, and uh, booked his hotel, all this stuff, expecting to be there for a month or so, and they had made a mistake; they had double booked the role. So the director came to him and said, I am so sorry. Um, would you take a, you know, three, well, it wasn't even three minutes. It was like a, a 10 second extra role since you're here today, but I can't honor this deal. Well, ordinarily, the, the knee jerk reaction is to lash out, which a lot of college kids would do in a situation like that and um, where they don't get what they were promised or they expected to, but things happen. Well, Glenn Morshower chose professionalism over reaction and said, I'll just let you guys work it out and I'll abide by whatever you come up with. And he did not get the job. Well, people would say, well, he wasn't the lucky one. He wasn't very smart. He should have fought for it. When in reality, the director, Michael Bay, was so impressed with the way Glenmore Shower handled himself that he said, you will be in every movie I produce mm. from now on. And he's been good to his word. In fact, when he called him to be in the second Transformer movie, Glenn said to Michael Bay, does it concern you that I was killed in the last movie? He said, no, we're going to give you a new name. <laughs> <laughs> but that's character, and that's what character will do for someone's 
career, and they're developing it and they're showcasing it on campus. You always drop the heavy hand at the end of each podcast, Lindy. First it was thank you, and then in your in our first one, so for those listening, you got to go back to part one. I'll link them together. And this character building with Glenn Morshower, oh, my goodness, I don't know if we can talk. I think we should stop while we're at our, at our height. <laughs> <laughs> well, can we at least tell you what, uh, what we want to offer your listeners? Absolutely, of course. All right. Well, we have, we have uh, a couple of different things. First of all, the stories like Glenn Morshower and our book, College Secrets of Highly Successful People, Keys to Launching a Great Life. You can buy that in any bookstore or on Amazon. Uh, but uh, if you want just some additional free resources, uh, we have eight things you must know before starting college. Uh, you can go to our website at americascollegeadvisors.com. That's advisors with O-R-S americascollegeadvisors.com, and uh, it'll be right there on the front page. Uh, you just click on the link, and you can download eight things you must know before starting college, and uh, it'll give you some additional insights uh, beyond the six lies that we talked about in the last two podcasts here, uh, and things that really will make sure that you're getting started on the right foot and uh, avoiding some of the missteps that so many other people make. Absolutely. Um, anything else, Lindy? Boy, I just I love talking to you, Hamza. You you bring out the best in us. Uh, I love it too. I mean, these times fly, and I'm glad that we're able to share, and you're able to be seen as a resource for those that can get the leg up. I mean, you don't want to just be a number. You definitely want to stand out. So with that, um, you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I love superhero movies, and they should hire the Snyders for their own superhero franchise. It was a pleasure speaking with you guys. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. It's been a delight. And uh, we'll be glad to come back again on some other topic. Fantastic. I look forward to it. Thank you very much. You bet. Thanks, Hamza. Hello? 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 Thanks again for checking out another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homies Perspective podcast. Please check us out on our website at intrinsicmotivation.life where you can click on the speak pipe button and leave any suggestions for a future podcast that you'd like us to cover. Also check us out on our social media sites. We have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, iTunes podcast, in addition to Stitcher and Google Play, all under Intrinsic Motivation from a Homies Perspective. Check you out next time. Have a great day.